0: I'm Peter Medic, and you're listening
1: to Return of the Birds, the serialized audiobook podcast of Wake Robin by John Burroughs. Thank you for choosing our podcast. We're grateful for your time. If this is the first time you've dropped into the story, you may want to go back and listen to the previous episodes, but you're welcome to stick around. I want to give a special thank you to the women and men in the field who recorded and cataloged the bird calls and songs I used over the course of this audiobook. You are doing selfless and important work, and it's appreciated. Thank you. Till the middle of July, there is a general equilibrium. The tide stands poised, the holiday spirit is unabated. But as the harvest ripens beneath the long hot days, the melody gradually ceases. The young are out of the nest and must be cared for, and the molting season is at hand. After the cricket has commenced to drone his monotonous refrain beneath your window, you will not, till another season, hear the wood thrush in all his matchless eloquence. The bobolink has become careworn and fretful and blurts out snatches of his song between his scolding and upbraiding as he approached the vicinity of his nest, oscillating between anxiety for his brood and solicitude for his musical reputation. Some of the sparrows still sing, And occasionally, across the hot fields, from a tall tree in the edge of the forest, comes the rich note of the scarlet tanager. (whistles) This tropical-colored bird loves the hottest weather. And I hear him even in dog days. The remainder of summer is the carnival of the swallows and flycatchers. Flies and insects, to any amount, are to be had for the catching, and the opportunity is well improved. See that somber, ashen-colored peewee on yonder branch? A true sportsman he, who never takes his game at rest, but always on the wing. You vagrant fly, you purblind moth? Beware how you come within his range. Observe his attitude, the curious movement of his head, his quote "eye in a fine frenzy rolling, glancing from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven." End quote. His sight is microscopic, and his aim sure. Quick as thought, he has seized his victim and is back to his perch. There's no strife, no pursuit. One fell swoop, and the matter is ended. That little sparrow, as you will observe, is less skilled. It is a socialist, and he finds his subsistence properly in the various seeds and larvae of insects, though he occasionally has higher aspirations and seeks to emulate the peewee, commencing and ending his career as a flycatcher by an awkward chase after a beetle or miller. He is hunting around in the grass now, I suspect, with a desire to indulge his favorite whim. There! The opportunity is afforded him. Away goes a little cream-colored meadow moth in the most torturous course he is capable of. And away goes Socialist, in pursuit. The contest is quite comical, though I dare say it is serious enough to the moth. The chase continues for a few yards when there is a sudden rushing to cover in the grass, then taking to wing again. When the search has become too close and the moth has recovered his wind, Socialist chirps angrily and is determined not to be beaten. keeping, with the slightest effort, upon the heels of the fugitive. He's ever on the point of halting to snap him up. And so, between disappointment and expectation, is soon disgusted, and returns to pursue his more legitimate means of subsistence. In striking contrast to this serio-comic strife of the sparrow and the moth, is the pigeon-hawk's pursuit of the sparrow or the goldfinch. It is a race of surprising speed and agility. It is a test of wing and wind. Every muscle is taxed, every nerve is strained. Such cries of terror and consternation on the part of the bird, tacking to the right and left, and making the most desperate efforts to escape, and such silent determination on the part of the hawk Pressing the bird so closely, flashing and turning, and timing his movements with those of the pursuit as accurately and as inexorably as if the two constituted one body, excite feelings of the deepest concern. You mount the fence or rush out of your way to see the issue. The only salvation for the bird is to adopt the tactics of the moth seeking instantly the cover of some tree, bush, or hedge, where its smaller size enables it to move about more rapidly. These pirates are aware of this, and therefore prefer to take their prey by one fell swoop. You may see one of them prowling through an orchard, with the yellow birds hovering about him, crying in the most desponding tone. Yet he seems not to regard them, knowing, as they do, that in the close branches they are as safe as if in a wall of adamant. August is the month of the high-sailing hawks. The hen hawk is the most noticeable. He likes the haze and calm of these long, warm days. He is a bird of leisure, always at his ease. How beautiful and majestic are his movements. So self-poised and easy, such an entire absence of haste. Such a magnificent amplitude of circles and spirals. Such a haughty imperial grace. And occasionally, such daring aerial evolutions. With slow, leisurely movement, rarely vibrating his pinions, he mounts and mounts in an ascending spiral till he appears a mere speck against the summer sky. Then, if the mood seizes him, with wings half-closed, bent like a bow, he will cleave the air almost perpendicularly, as if intent on dashing himself to pieces against the earth. But, on nearing the ground, he suddenly mounts again, on broad, expanded wing, as if rebounding upon the air and sails leisurely away. It is the sublimest feat of the season. One holds his breath till he sees him rise again. If inclined to a more gradual and less precipitous descent, he fixes his eye on some distant point on the earth beneath him and thither bends his course. He is still almost meteoric in his speed and boldness. You see his path down the heavens, straight as a line. If near, you hear the rush of his wings. His shadow hurtles across the fields, and, in an instant, you see him quietly perched upon some low tree or decayed stub in a swamp or meadow, with reminiscences of frogs and mice stirring in his maw. When the south wind blows, it is a study to see three or four of these air kings at the head of the valley, far up toward the mountain, balancing and oscillating upon the strong current now quite stationary, except a slight tremulous motion, like the poise of a rope dancer, then rising and falling in long undulations, and seeming to resign themselves passively to the wind, or, again, sailing high and level, far above the mountain's peak. No bluster in haste, but, as stated, occasionally a terrible earnestness and speed. Fire at one as he sails overhead, and unless he's badly wounded, he will not change his course or gait. His flight is a perfect picture of repose and motion. It strikes the eye as more surprising than the flight of the pigeon, and the swallow even, in that the effort put forth is so uniform and delicate as to escape observation, giving to the movement an air of buoyancy and perpetuity, the effluence of power rather than the conscious application of it. The calmness and dignity of this hawk, when attacked by crows or the kingbird, are well worthy of him. He seldom deigns to notice his noisy and furious antagonists, but deliberately wheels about in that aerial spiral and mounts and mounts till his pursuers grow dizzy and return to earth again. It's quite original, this mode of getting rid of an unworthy opponent, rising to heights where the braggart is dazed and bewildered and loses his reckoning. I am not sure, but it is worthy of imitation. But summer wanes and autumn approaches. The songsters of the seed time are silent at the reaping of the harvest. Other minstrels take up the strain. It is the heyday of insect life. The day is canopied with musical sound. All the songs of the spring and summer appear to be floating, softened and refined in the upper air. The birds, in new but less holiday suit, turn their faces southward. The swallows flock and go, The bobolinks flock and go silently and unobserved. The thrushes go. Autumn arrives, bringing finches, warblers, sparrows, and kinglets from the north. Silently, the procession passes. Yonder hawk, sailing peacefully away, till he is lost in the horizon, is a symbol of the closing season and the departing of the birds. 1863.
0: You listen to Return of the Birds, a serialized audiobook podcast of Wake Robin, written by John Burroughs and read by Peter Medic. Bird vocalizations courtesy of the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Recording, editing, and post production by 44 from 26 in Bellingham, Washington. Post-production and mastering by Counterweight Creative. Recorded at one fine studio in Bellingham, Washington. Engineered, produced, and directed by Peter Medic. This has been a presentation of 44 from 26, a family-owned and operated media experiment. For more updates, we invite you to join the growing 44 from 26 community at 44from26.com or visit returnofthebirds.com. Wake Robin is available for digital download in e-reader format at archive.org. This is 44 from 26. Thank you for
1: listening to this episode of Return of the Birds. Please visit returnofthebirds.com to find show notes for each episode. The show notes include links back to the Macaulay Library bird vocalizations we used in this episode, images of the birds mentioned in the episode, and more. Finally, any flubs, goofs, and mispronunciations or errors are mine. If you want to tell me about them, stop by 44from26.com forward slash contact and click the button to leave a voicemail or send an email. Till next time, chirp away.